Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn to Genesis chapter 19, where we're going to be diving into some deep waters regarding some of these very issues. Today, we're going to look at what I would call the anatomy of a wasted life. Now, if you happen to be visiting and you, you, you're kind of coming in a little bit in the middle of the movie, but each week I try to repeat kind of where we are, where the movie's taken us up to this point. And the last number of weeks, we have been dealing with Abraham and a man named Lot. Abraham is the uncle, Lot is the nephew. And there's a tremendous difference, a tremendous uh, disparity, if you would, between the character of, of these two men. And today we're going to look at Lot, the anatomy of a wasted life. And hopefully this will touch all of our lives, certainly to some degree. Lot, according to the New Testament, <clears throat> is a believer. Because it refers to him as a righteous man. Now you've heard me say this many, many times. Righteousness, it's not talking about him being a righteous man because he was a good person. He obviously wasn't. But somewhere along the line, he believed in the Lord. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And they received the very righteousness of Christ himself, which he did. And for proof of that, it says that his very soul was deeply troubled by what he saw going on day after day in Sodom. But he still stayed there. So it's also the story of a, of a pilgrim who lost his sense of pilgrimage. He got tied up in the world. And as a result of that, many difficult consequences came into his life. Thus, the anatomy of a wasted life. Um, we also talked in these couple of chapters about the issue of what was taking place in Sodom. What was taking place in Sodom was a great deal of homosexuality. And one of the things we pointed out over these last couple of weeks is God puts heterosexuals and gays in the same boat. Heterosexuals have trouble with their sexuality because it's broken due to sin and the fall of Adam. And the same thing is true with gays. Therefore, no one is to look down on the other. But to work through these issues, these redemptive themes in Scripture that free us and take us out of the bondage of our own sexual passions and lusts. So we, we keep things on a level playing field and still hold true to what the Scriptures teach on the issue of marriage and our sexuality. So that's kind of where we are. That should bring you up to speed. The big picture today is looking at Lot's life. And it's a narrative, it's a story. And you'll notice some little cues along the way. Little, little words that, that just mean so much as we go through it. I'll kind of go back and take a look at some of these as, as we walk our way through it. I'm going to read the entire text. It's lengthy because we're going to start in verse 14. And we're going to read all the way through to the end of the chapter. So... Chapter 19, starting in verse 14, we read these words. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, hurry and get out of this place, because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you'll be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city. For the Lord was merciful to them. And as soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, flee for your lives. Don't look back 
and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains, you'll be swept away. But Lot said to them, No, my lords, please, your servant has found favor in your eyes, and you have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life. But I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me and I will die. Look, here is a town near enough to run to, and it is small. Let me flee to it. It is very small, isn't it? And my life will be saved. He said to him, Very well, I grant you this request too. I will not overthrow the town you speak of. But flee there quickly, because I cannot do anything until you reach it. That is why the town is called Zoar. It means small. By the time Lot reached Zoar, the sun had risen over the land. <clears throat> then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Lord out of the heavens. Thus the, he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, including those living in the cities, also the vegetation and the land. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. <coughs> no commentary, because the Bible doesn't tell you anything more about it other than a reference in the New Testament. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land, the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land, like smoke from a furnace. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham, and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. Now the difficult part, <clears throat> verse 30. And Lot and his two daughters left Zoar and settled in the mountains, for he was afraid to stay in Zoar. He and his two daughters lived in a cave. <clears throat> One day, the older daughter said to the younger, Our father is too old, and there's no man around here to lie with us, as it is custom on the earth. Let's get our father to drink wine, and then lie with him and preserve a family for our father's line. <coughs> Excuse me. That night, they got their father to drink wine, and the older daughter went in and lay with him. He was not aware of it, and she lay down when she got up. The next day, the older daughter said to the younger, Last night I lay with my father. Let's get him drunk with wine tonight. Go in and lie with him so we can preserve our family through our father. So they got the father to drink wine that night also. And the younger daughter went and lay with him. And he was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. So both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father. The older daughter had a son. And she named him Moab. He is the father of the Moabites today. The younger daughter also had a son, and she named him Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites today. Lord, difficult passage. Open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things out of this text. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You grab a, a young person, 18, 19 years old, and you say, uh, hey, what are what are your plans? Provided God gives you a lengthy life, 80, 90 years old, what are your plans? And they say, well, I, I, uh, I, I want to go to college. I've already been accepted at some particular school, and I want to study mechanical engineering. Great. Then what? Well, I, I might go on and get a graduate degree, not sure yet. And I'd like to go to work for a, for a company and eventually buy a house, get married, and, and settle down. And, and as a Christian, I'd like to be involved in a local church and communicate the gospel to other people. Can you imagine anybody answering it this way? What do you want to do in the future? Well, I'd like to go off to college. I want to get involved in binge drinking so that I can be assured that I'll be an alcoholic 
I want to join a fraternity, and I also want to get involved in as much sexual activity so I can get as many sexually transmitted diseases as possible. I also want to get on drugs. And then I want to get a job, and in the job, I want to embezzle from my employer. What I plan to do is have all the, the consequences of bad decisions come into my life and just ruin my life. Those are my plans. Who would ever, who would ever say such a thing? Pick up the newspaper. Day after day after day. If it isn't a politician, it's a pastor. If it isn't a pastor, it's a priest. If it isn't a priest, it's an athlete. If it isn't an athlete, it's a movie star. If it isn't a movie star, it's somebody. Somebody hits the news and it becomes the anatomy of a completely ruined, empty life. You have the whole Me Too movement. Do you really think that Harvey Weinstein at the age of 18 said, I want to destroy my entire life? But he did. And we're capable of it too. Can't point any fingers. We're all... That's why God records these things. These aren't just nice little stories. These are the stories about us, about you and me, and bad decisions, and even good decisions, all right? But in this case, here is a man who destroyed his entire life based on one bad decision after another. So I'm calling it the anatomy of a wasted life. So let's take a look. Let's just kind of follow along a little bit. We're not going to look at every single verse here, but we're going to look at some major things. If you were to go back to chapter 13, we find that one of the first things Lot does is, here are Abraham and Lot, and they have an awful lot. They're very wealthy. They have a lot of cattle, a lot of gold and silver, and, and you've heard me say this because we talked about it when we were in this particular text. And Abraham says, you know, our herdsmen are fighting, a lot of problems going on. Uh, if you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Whatever, whatever it happens to be. Uh, and here's Abraham, the uncle. Lot is the nephew. And here's what it says. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the plains where Sodom was. Don't think he didn't know what Las Vegas was all about. He did, all right? Don't think he didn't know about the red light district, you know, in, in San Francisco or almost any major city. He knew. He knew what was going on. I'm not saying that was his plan, but he knew it. He looked up and he saw. The next thing that he did was he pitched his tent towards Sodom. And the next thing he did was he went and he lived in Sodom. And the next thing we read about, he is in the gates of Sodom, which is probably the, the, the government area. He might have even been kind of a major player. All right? All these steps, all of these decisions, one decision after another. All right? Now here's a tagline that I'm going to give you, and I want you to tattoo it on the back of your eyelids for the rest of your life. Here it is. A bad decision weakens my ability to make the next right decision. Follow that? A bad decision weakens my ability to make the next right decision. Because once I've made a bad decision and the consequences start coming in, I don't usually just repent and deal with it and now start making right decisions. I'm now trying to figure out how do I escape the consequences which only leads to more bad decisions. 
So a bad decision weakens my ability to make the next right decision. Let me give you some examples. Here's a man by the name of Achan, found in the book of Joshua. They were told not to take any of the spoils. But he saw a garment, a Babylonian garment. He saw it, he liked it, and he took it. And there were consequences from that one. King David is up on a rooftop, and he sees a beautiful woman. Text doesn't say that he knew she was going to be there. The text doesn't say that he kind of went up there for that purpose. But clearly, he saw a beautiful woman, and he called for her, and he lay with her, and she is now pregnant. He made a bad, bad moral decision. But he could have confessed it and dealt with it, but he didn't. Because a bad decision weakens our ability to make the next right decision. And the next decision he makes is, wow, I better bring her husband Uriah off the battlefield. He'll sleep with her and everybody will know it's his child. But it doesn't work out. Uriah says, how can I do this And when the men are in the field? Even, even tries to get him drunk. It doesn't work. And now the whole kingdom is in turmoil as a result of what he's done. Bad decisions. <laughs> Weaken people's ability, even somebody like David, to make the next right decision, the next wise decision. Every decision that Lot makes from choosing, rather than letting Abraham, oh, you're my uncle, you take first choice. No, no, I want it myself. Here's a pilgrim that lost his pilgrimage. Here's a guy that's got his feet in, 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 in both worlds. He wants it all. All right, And so he makes one bad decision after another, and now the consequences are coming in. <laughs> the law of the harvest is taking place, which is what we want to talk about today. We want to take the law of the harvest, which is found in the New Testament, Galatians 6, we want to apply it to Lot's life. We want to apply it to our lives. Now listen, as we go through this, I don't want anybody leaving saying, well, I've made so many bad decisions, you know, life is a mess, the consequences are coming in, I better just, I'm, what good is it now? I'm 75 or 80 and so on. <laughs> Chuck Swindoll, years ago, made a great statement. It's never too late to start doing what is right. The thief on the cross made a very wise decision when he said to Jesus, Remember me today in paradise. Last minute, you can still do what is right. Consequences come in life. They, 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 they simply do. So the law of the harvest has three parts to it, if you're not terribly familiar. The law of the harvest says you reap what you sow. You put tomatoes in the ground, you get tomatoes. All right. You reap more than you sow. You put a tomato seed in the ground, you get 50 tomatoes on the plant, each tomato has hundreds of seeds, so you reap more than you sow. Because the Old Testament says, you sow to the wind and you'll reap a whirlwind. This is what happened in David's life. This is what happens in Lot's life, all right? And you reap after you sow. And that's the big bad one that most people don't think much about. We'll talk about that when we get to it. So the first one is, as this applies to Lot's life and to our lives, we look at, look at this, we kind of track what he's doing here. You reap what you sow. So let's go back, for those of you that may not, be, may not have been here for this. 
Lot is in Sodom, and all the men of the city gather around his house because there are two angels that are with him, and they are, they've taken on a fleshly form of a human being. And the men of the city say, come, bring them out so that we can have sex with them. And Lot says, no, don't do such wickedness. Here, take my daughters and do what you want. Didn't happen, but this is what he offered up. All right? Now, just think about that. What you sow is what you will reap. And the tragic irony is this. I read this. I don't know where I read it, but I, here's what it says. In tragic irony, a drunk lot carried out the very act which he himself had suggested to the men of Sodom. He lay with his own daughters. There's the irony. You know why? Because you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. Uh, he made so many horrible decisions. For, for example, we, 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 when we look at this, just the, the choice of him wanting always what was best. Uh, he he cho chooses the, the, the land that he thinks is going to solve all of his problems and make him happy. It becomes the very thing that destroys him. All right? And as you're looking through this, you, you begin to realize there's some interesting things. For example, it says, um, it says in verse 16, when he hesitated, as the, as the men, as the angels were trying to take him out of the city, he hesitated. Why does the Holy Spirit even mention that? It shows you that he still had a foot in Sodom. It was hard to pull away of what he had grown to love, as bad as it was. It bothered his soul, his very soul, of what he saw taking place, but not enough to leave. And so he hesitated. He hesitated. There is so much in all of this that, 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 that plays out to the law of the harvest. Here's something else. He sows bad character. His daughters now have bad character, and his future sons-in-law, when he tells them, leave, the city's getting ready to be destroyed, it says they thought he was joking. Some translations might even say he sort of mocked him for, for what he said. Do you know if you've got character, if you've got real character, you will speak with authority and people will know you're not joking. But he had no character. And his own sons-in-law are now mocking him. They're laughing at him. Because he had sown such bad character, he was reaping more bad character. Because we, we impart that to the people that we're closest to. We impart that to our families. We impart that to those people around us. We impart that to people at work. But you know when it talked about Jesus, it said, Jesus spoke with authority and not like the scribes. Not like the religious leaders. What was it? There was something about how Jesus would speak. There was an authority. There was no authority here. And so the Lord is simply leaving these little breadcrumbs sort of along the way as you're following this trail, this narrative. He didn't need to put that in, but he does. He hesitated. His sons mocked him. As a result, he wound up with sons-in-law who clearly weren't believers and destroyed. <clears throat> Secondly, you reap 
more than you sow. David, King David, when he sinned against the Lord with his relationship with Bathsheba, he reaped a whirlwind. The whole kingdom was impacted. Admittedly, too much is given, much is required. He was in a position of great leadership. His sin is going to be greater. All right? And so, the impact that this had upon his generation, his children, the nation, were being impacted to this very day as a result of that sin. Because you reap more than you sow. But here's something in Lot's life. In Lot's life, what he sowed was the Moabites and the Ammonites. Follow this. Here's Abraham, his uncle. All right? Abraham is told that he's going to be the father of a great nation. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. So Abraham struggled up and down along the way, but was always moving upward and growing in maturity. He made some bad decisions and he made some very wise decisions. He was called a friend of God. So here's Abraham, and he's going to be the father of a great nation. Here's his nephew that winds up getting his own daughters pregnant. They're going to give birth to two nations that are going to attack Israel. Think of that. I mean, just think of that. You know how often I've talked about the confusion that exists in the world? It's due to the sin that just keeps being passed on, passed on, passed on, where people don't make wise decisions. And, and he reaps much more than he had sown. Because bad decisions blind us to making the next right decision. It just does. It weakens our ability to make the next right decision. So here he is in a cave with his daughters in an incestuous relationship. Now the last one. And if you're... If you're 30 and under, listen carefully. Everybody needs this one, but particularly if you think you've got a few years left in life. Because this is the one that people don't think about. You reap what you sow, you reap more than you sow, and you reap after you sow. And I've taught on this in the past, and I'll use some of the same illustrations, all right? Because in due season, you shall reap, you shall <coughs> reap if you faint not. In due season. In the law of the harvest... It is saying that there, there's a time. When you put, a, when you put a, a seed in the ground, you don't get up the next day and find a, a vine filled with fruit. No, it takes time, all right? When you put a sinful seed into the soil of your soul, guess what? It takes time, okay? You don't see it right away. Ecclesiastes, it says, it says, because sin against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore it is set in the hearts of men to do evil continually. In other words, God doesn't bring in the consequences right away so people think, I'll get away with it. I can pull this off. I've got this. And the reason I say this is when a young person <clears throat> heads off to, to school, uh, it's a little bit like, Here's, here, is, here is Lot. Now keep in mind, Lot never in his mind thought it would lead to this cave with his two daughters. This was not in his plans. He did not set out to have this happen any more than anybody sets out to destroy their own lives. All right? I say this to younger people because you 
most likely do have some time, to make some very good decisions now. And here's what so often happens. Here's Lot. He, he simply looks at Sodom. He pitches his tent towards Sodom. He winds up in Sodom. Now he's in the gates of Sodom. All right? How did he get here? All right. Bad decisions. Young person comes up through the ranks of church, raised in a good Christian home, learns verses in Awana, goes to the youth group, wherever they happen to be in church, here, wherever. And as they're growing up, they're, they're told, you know, that kind of bad behavior is going to cost you. Don't go in that route. There is no fun in that. That's damaging to your soul. It, 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 it's, a, it's a lie. And they're learning all this, and they're memorizing the scriptures and so on. But they don't know about the third part of the law of the harvest. Because what they do is they go off to school, they, maybe they enter ninth or 10th grade, and the immorality is simply getting lower and lower and lower. And they go in and they think, I'm not going to that party, I'm not going to be involved in that. Because those people are going to get what they deserve. The law of the harvest. Nothing happens. Then the kids start getting into heavy drinking and drugs and all kinds of sex. 11th grade, 12th grade, nothing happens. Sure, it's going to come in someday. They go off to college. They see their kids now. Even It's even elevated. All kinds of wild orgies and all kinds of things are taking place on college campuses. And they go, wait a minute. Time out. That looks like a lot of fun. And my parents and Awana and the verses in Scripture and my pastor and a youth pastor, everybody, they all told me that was not a smart way to live. That, I would, that I would, the consequences would come in. I don't see the consequences. I'm out of here. This Christianity has lied to me. I've missed out on a lot of pleasure and a lot of fun. I'm diving in head on, headlong. And they do. And they do. But they're about five or six years behind their friends that have been doing this for a long time. And in a few years, their friends' marriages and life just starts falling apart, it seems, everywhere. Entangled with all kinds of mess. And all of a sudden, they know in a few years, the same is going to happen to them. It's the law of the harvest. So, no matter what age you are, make sure you understand that third part of the law of the harvest. There is a time. There is a time frame before the crop comes in. Before you reap what you sow. Before you reap more than you sow. There's, the, the, there's, a, there's a space. And you see this over and over and over again in people's lives in Scripture. People that made bad decisions, which weakened their ability to make the next right decision. And as a result, the crop came in because the law of the harvest is an inviolable law. Lot didn't plan this. He <laughs> sat down with Lot. Here he is with Abraham. Abraham said, Lot, let, 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 let me tell you something. I don't mind you going down to the plain, but you know about Sodom. You... you, you you don't want to live in there, all right? Now, there's nothing wrong with living in a city, but we all know there are certain parts of the city we don't need to visit, okay? And so he could have, you know, he could have said, yeah, you know, that's, this probably wouldn't be a wise decision. Make no provision for the lust to fulfill it, Romans tells us. Don't, don't, don't put yourself in a position where you could fall. But he kept kidding himself, and he kept kidding himself, and he kept kidding himself. Moral blindness leads to spiritual blindness. Somebody once said that your morality dictates your theology. Because once you buy in to the moral revolution, you'll get rid of God. You'll get rid of His Word. You'll say, I'm out of here. 
I'm missing too much fun. God is saying, oh, please, 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 I beg of you. And you've heard me say this on many occasions. It was one of my taglines a couple of years ago. Wisdom and wise living doesn't guarantee you're not going to have any problems in life. It simply guarantees you won't be the cause. And Lot is the cause in every single one of these consequences. There's nothing wise about what he does at all. It's just one bad decision that has blinded him to the next possible right decision. One after another. But why was Lot rescued and how was he rescued? And here's the beauty. I want you to look, if you would, at verse 16. Look at verse 16. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city. For the Lord was merciful to them. And there's, a, there's, there's, a, there's, there's, a, there's an important truth here. <clears throat> These angels that are grabbing him by the hand <clears throat> and pulling him out, in many respects, represent those of us that see other believers falling into sin, but we don't do anything. Rather than coming alongside, lovingly, non-judgmentally, pulling the log out of our eye first and saying, listen, I've been kind of tracking with you and I, I just, I love you enough to tell you I think you're heading in a bad direction. I think what you're doing here, what you're reading, what you're doing, what, I, I just don't think this is a good place to be. I think the company you, you keep is not good. I'm seeing your life starting to, you know, just spin out of hand. And I'm just here to try to rescue you, try to pull you back. And the same is true of us looking at the world that doesn't even understand the law of the harvest and rescuing those people by telling them the good news of the gospel. So it's sort of a representation here. But the interesting thing is, it says that it was the mercy of God. And that's always the mercy of God. And the mercy of God is what is sparing him. God is showing compassion and love in spite of his sin and bad decisions. And that's what's beautiful about this. You know, King David, with all the troubles that he found himself in, go back and read Psalm 32 or Psalm 51. And you see, blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not put any sin to his account. David, through all of his struggles and all the consequences, still realized God had him. Asaph, in Psalm 73, with all of his struggles, wondering why the wicked prospered and blaming God for why the wicked prospered, eventually said, he will take me by my right hand and lead me to glory. Lead me to glory. It's never too late to start doing what is right. Ever. Never, ever. Let's look at something else that plays out. Combining with the mercy of God, look if you would at verses 27 through 29. We read this. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down towards Sodom. He wasn't in it. He looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain. And he saw dense smoke rising. He saw the Lord's judgment, he saw the consequences, but he wasn't in the consequences, all right? Like the smoke of a furnace. Now look at verse 29. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham, and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. He remembered Abraham. What did he remember about Abraham? 
You remember Abraham's prayer. If there are 50 righteous, will you spare the city? How about, how about 45? How about 40, 30, 20, 10? But he never went down to one. <clears throat> but in those 10, was a lot. The New Testament says he was righteous. So combined with God's mercy, God's amazing grace, is also combined with the prayers of Abraham. That tells us something about our prayers. It tells us that we need to go before the Lord and on behalf of others, intercede for the prodigals, intercede for kids that are heading off to college, intercede for, for, for marriages, intercede for, for everybody around us, intercede and to pray that God would grab people by his hand and pull them out of the destruction that they're about ready to experience. And to reach people that don't know the gospel with that same passion, that same desire, over and over again. So, here's a little irony. The irony is this. What Lot thought would bring him pleasure brought him pain. Is that not true of life? What Harvey Weinstein thought would bring him pleasure has brought him pain. And I'm not down on him. He's another human being, another broken human being. Look at my own life. I see things that I did that were stupid, bad decisions, consequences, all those things. We've all, we've all experienced this. The interesting thing is, so often, it can be a material possession we just have to have. We've just got to have it. We don't even process the wisdom of getting involved. Can I pay for it? What? All these things. And before you know it, we made bad decisions. We find ourselves just crumbling under the weight and the consequences of bad decisions. It can be moral decisions, financial decisions, ethical decisions, all kinds of decisions. And this is why God tells the story of people's lives. He doesn't hide things. He doesn't paint pretty pictures and everybody rides off into the sunset. He says, this is life. This is life of people that make bad decisions, which weakens their ability to make the next right decision. That's what, it's, that's what he's saying. And so, as we, as we see the irony of this, that he, the very thing he thought would bring him pleasure. And I think what was going through his mind is, I know the Lord, I want heaven, I want to be forgiven of my sin, but I also want to have one foot in the world. I want to get into the city, I want to get involved in the city, and he didn't have any plans at all this, and yet, what does he wind up with? He winds up out of the city in a cave, drunk, with a relationship with his two daughters. We just saw a video of International Justice Mission, a young lady, Sadna, I think is her name. And, and, we, and we see the horrible things that are going on in the world. And God says, it's been going on for a long time, even amongst God's people. May it never be. May it never be. Never too late to start doing what is right. It's a beautiful passage. I think it's mentioned in all four Gospels. Certainly the Synoptic Gospels, first three. He who loses his life will find it. And he who finds his life will lose it. What does that mean? All the little enigmatic statements that are made. It's strange. That's kingdom living. He who finds his life. That's what Lot did. He found his life. 
He was looking for life. And he found it in Sodom. He who finds his life will lose it. And he lost it. He who loses his life will find it. In other words, he who dies to the pleasures and the things of this world finds life, real life, abundant life. Lot found his life and lost it. Abraham lost his life and found it. It's a Christian life. There it is. And it's before all of us this very day. So as we wrap up, a couple of thoughts. Number one, not to dwell on it, but just ask yourself some decisions that you've looked at in life and you think, that was not wise. The crops come in. All right. God may show mercy and halt the crop from coming in more than it should. You don't know what God's going to do. Let the crop die and let that death of that crop become fertilizer for the new crop that's coming in. Never too late to start doing what is right. Second question is, what decision is before me right now? And I got a little check in my spirit. Not real sure how to do this. Could be a moral decision, an ethical decision, a monetary, it could be almost any type of decision. And you're looking at it and you're thinking, you know, I don't know. I, I'm not real sure. And you get some wise counsel and some people around you that say, I wouldn't do that. And here's why. Or, I think you're clear. But if you're in the midst of making a decision and you know full well, this is putting you very close to Sodom. Very close. Back the trolley up. Alright? Back it up. Because it's always better to say, what am I thinking than what was I thinking? You've heard me say that a number of times. What... If he had stopped and paused, gosh, I pitched my tent, I'm getting closer and closer. What am I thinking? Now he's trapped in a cave with his two daughters. What was I thinking? Everybody says that when the consequences come in. How did I get here? What was I thinking? The Bible still says he was a righteous man. Not righteous because of his own righteousness. And it shows you the grace of God. Because you could be here today and you could look at your life and say, my life is an absolute disaster. And I've brought it on. Maybe you're visiting. Maybe you've been a while. Maybe you have not yet come to the place where you really grasp the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus is the good news and we're the bad news. And the good news has come to save the bad news. And here's what people do. They make a decision. They make a bad decision by getting very religious and they get trapped in the religion which only causes them to make more bad decisions I better try harder I better go to church more I better give more money I better chop, stop doing that I better, and maybe God will let me into heaven one bad decision after another and some of you might be thinking wow I thought I thought that's how you went to heaven no no that's just one bad decision that brings you into bondage of another bad decision there's only one decision Whosoever believeth in me has, possesses now, everlasting life. That's it. No hoops to jump through. No holy hardware. No religious stuff. Believe. Put your faith, your confidence, your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved. That's the message. That's it. 
That's too simple. No, it's not. It's very complex behind the scenes. It costs the life of God's dear son. Simple for you, complex behind the scenes. Nonetheless, a simple message. Do you believe it? Or do you want to keep making one bad decision which weakens your ability to ever make the right decision by calling upon the Lord that you might be saved? Because bad decisions will always weaken our ability to make the next right decision. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to open up this text. Lord, there's so much more here. But we thank you, uh, Lord, for your grace and your kindness and your mercy. But Lord, my greatest desire is to see that no one would leave here today without putting their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Stop trying to try. Stop trying to be good. Stop trying to keep the law. Stop trying to keep the, all the different commandments. You can't. You can't. Call upon Christ and then he will transform you and give you the power to do what is good. Not to earn your salvation, but as the fruit of that salvation. So Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for these uh, dear people. And I pray that you would bless IJM today, all throughout the United States and around the world. Encourage our hearts in it. We'll give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.